Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Strategic Slut Podcast, a feminist-based show that aims to reclaim the word slut and discuss harder topics to become more approachable. Each week, I'll bring you a topic to break down or a guest on to have a discussion in a shame-free way so that we can all live an intentional and strategic life. I today have the Birds Papaya on. I'm sure you know her on Instagram. Sarah is the sweetest human being I've ever spoken to. She was one of my dream guests and it was such a pleasure to have her on this podcast. Oh my god, I've been fangirling for a week. This podcast goes everywhere. We talk about social media, responsibility within influencers, um, like parenting young children in the age of social media and cultivating a sex positive household and really just a thousand different directions that I think you guys will really appreciate. She's truly so down to earth and I think that a lot of these things you may be able to relate to as a lot of her content is like that as well. It's just really... Um, amazing things that a lot of women need to hear. So I just want to quickly disclaim that the first 30 seconds are incredibly cringy. I don't know what came over me, but I could not speak. I was suddenly like starstruck and just could not fucking get the words out. I was just fumbling and I just, I could not speak. I don't know. So just bear with me for 30 seconds and then I kind of get my shit together. But I don't know, my brain cells just literally grayed out and we're like, no thank you. So please bear with me and enjoy this episode. I'll see you next Monday and enjoy. Hi everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Today is a very exciting, I have a very special guest. It is Sarah Nicole Landry of the Birds Papaya, who is the host of the Papaya Podcast. I can't even speak, I'm See, so that's nervous. my whole problem. This is what I do. Try naming your, pap- I named it as a joke. Papaya Podcast was a joke and now I have to say it all the time and it's so hard. It is a harsh, it's a strategic slot. I somehow get like- Oh, that's Two yeah. S's, two P's, it's too much. But I'm sure everyone listening knows who you are. But in case they don't and live under a rock, um, Sarah is a major influencer. I don't want to even call you that. But you're like a major self-love person to follow with like 1.5 million followers who shares her evolving journey with what it means to love yourself and your body and um your mother a writer a speaker um and just all these amazing things I've looked up to you for so many years so I'm so excited for you to be here thank you I'm so excited and it's so funny that you were like I don't want to call you an influencer I'm like there's such a stigma and I feel it too when everyone's like what do you do for a living? And I'm like, "Ah, I'm a content creator. I work in media. I'll say like I work in marketing or I'm a public speaker, but like owning that word is so hard because I feel like we have such a bad taste in our mouth that it just means like somebody who dresses up and poses and things and like banks a check and walks away, which if they do like kudos to them for doing that. But for me, like I have tried to really own that being an influencer is like, we are all influencers. We just have different variable levels of who's willing to listen to us or who we have in those circles listening to us. So looking at influencing as a much bigger, broader thing and recognizing that it, you know, we all have that influence and it can be for so much more than just, you know, what shoes to wear and banking that check. Mind you, I love when people tell me what shoes to wear. I have a friend who's not an influencer, but like she should be. And every day I see her and I'm just like, I'm just so annoyed because I want to swipe up on your entire outfit and I can't because you don't do that. I've gotten so used to that being our way, right? So hilarious. I feel the same way when someone doesn't like tag what they're wearing. I'm like, what the hell are you doing? This is 2020. (laughs) 
we're all high key, like sharing everything that we do and buy and everything. But I think I'm like really conflicted with the influencer term too, because the whole thing about it is just to have influence and the stigma around it is like, what kind of influence do you hold? Mm-hmm. And you hold a really amazing influence. Like you talk about very, well, taboo topics really about like weight gain, pregnancy, mm-hmm. um, like having mixed, I don't even know how to like word that. Blended one. family. Yeah. yeah. Um, you have children from like a previous marriage and yeah. even divorce, like yeah. all of the things that I think you have a huge wide like age range and mass following as well does that put a lot of pressure on you like do you feel um I'm sure you feel like an overwhelming sense of like almost responsibility of like what you post I know recently you've had to do a lot of trigger warnings with like pregnancy yeah by the way congratulations thank you <laughs> she's pregnant with her first ch- child so with Shane yeah it's my first with Shane my fourth in general but it feels like my first my first overall but yeah like I think I think the greatest thing about being a human especially a human on the internet anybody with a platform instead of just getting like it can be really really frustrating and I and I think at times I've really allowed it to steal my joy but instead just kind of getting down to like the human connection points of it and recognizing like sometimes you can do things that upset people or could hurt people even without intention. So what can you do to sometimes create better boundaries for yourself and also create disclaimers for other people? And, you know, this week, like I, when we were originally supposed to record, I woke up and was bleeding and I had to cancel everything. And I thought, do I share this or do I not? So I kind of just I knew I couldn't put trigger warnings on every story I was putting that day. So I was like, please, if you've dealt with loss or you can't be here for this today, like, this is allow this to be my warning. I've got to go through this today. And and I think it just comes down to like that willingness to be human. But I think the, the one thing I really realized this week is we put so much pressure on ourselves to get everything right. And we forget we're not journalists and reporters of the news. We are individual people going through the human experience and telling it openly, which is, which is scary because that means a willingness to be wrong. But a willingness to be wrong means a willingness to learn and to adapt and change. And I, I think I'm really stepping into learning what it is to talk about uncomfortable things because nobody was talking about them for me. So even as simple as I was in the bathtub, like for years, every single time I have a bath, I get out of the tub and like within 20 minutes, there's this huge gusher of water that comes out of my vagina. And I'm like, what the hell just happened? And even if like I've gotten dressed, I'll have to like change my whole clothes. Cause like I will gush all this bath water out of my vagina and down my thighs. And I'm like, it's so embarrassing. I was so embarrassed by it. Right. So instead of like sitting in that shame, I just brought it to my platform. And I'm like, guys, does your vagina ever gush water out after <laughs> you get in the tub? And it became, it was one of the most commented on posts ever. Cause women were like, Oh my gosh, yes. And nobody ever talks about that. And then all the other women were like, no, but like, I can't believe it happens. I'm so glad to know. So if it ever happens to me, I don't feel weird about it. And I think that's what happens is we get so afraid of shame and being wrong or saying something that's maybe too taboo or too out there and and recognizing that it's okay to have either difference of opinions or to get it wrong um, and and be able to learn with this new information that we're constantly going to get. Nobody's going to get everything right. So to be 
willing to just be a human being on the internet is terrifying because you are going to get it wrong. And even if you get it right for nine people, you're going to get it wrong for the 10th. And, and people will look for that in you as well. And just, I've just really tried to give myself a whole lot of grace to the fact of, guess what? I am absolutely a human being. I don't care what you see from my numbers or my platform. People every day, and I think this is what a lot of people don't realize is my inbox will be flooded with people saying, please share this today. Please talk about this. Please do this. And we're talking hundreds of different news stories that are happening mm-hmm. in the world. So to decipher and pull and be like, oh, this is more important than this, or this is what we need to talk about today. It gets deeply, deeply overwhelming. I'm not a news station. I'm not a news channel. I am somebody with a platform and with this responsibility to communicate these important issues, but more so do it from a side of what it is to be a human being and learning this information so that we can collectively as humans do better. And I think that that's, it's something that can be personal for ourselves. It could be something that we do in society. I think sometimes it's important for people to hear what it's like to exist after disordered eating, even if you've never struggled with it, so that you can be a human that understands how to support somebody else through that. If it's miscarriage or disability or, you know, a homosexuality or trans, like, to understand and to hear different stories and hear different experiences and walk away knowing that you can be a better support person. I think that's what it comes down to for me is just this willingness to be, to be open as a human that might get it wrong, but with a willingness to learn. That's amazing. I love that like kind of differentiation because I think a lot of people could get really wrapped up in kind of the responsibility of having X amount of followers and, you know, kind of like, this weird overwhelming sense of like I need to do all the things to show up for all the people and what you've done really well is always kind of stay to true to yourself like talk about the big things that are going on in the world whether you know it goes down to like social justice issues or political issues or whatever but then you're also like integrating kind of progressive thoughts within your content like instead of having a gender reveal it's sex reveal because Mm -hmm. a lot of people don't know the difference between sex versus gender and things like that I was just like it's really cool to see because you have such a mass age group that are following that we can all learn something from one another and like even with me running this podcast like I was 21 or I guess just about to turn 21 Uh, when I started this podcast and I was scared shitless because I was like, what if I say the wrong thing? What if I make like a joke that, you know, may be a little darker than people are used to. And then I just realized that it's like, this is me. And this is like, you know, I'd rather kind of make the mistakes, especially while I'm young and learn accordingly, than kind of go through life with like kind of blinders on and try to like be perfect because what's fulfilling about that well and that's the thing is I can tell you it's not because I started the birds papaya when I was 23 I had two girls so when you're talking about like I didn't you didn't know what you're doing I was like I was giving birth at 21 and like didn't know how to put a diaper on her like really just we have so many experiences like that like that and we always think that at some point in life we're gonna finally feel like an adult and know what we're doing I still don't know how to do my taxes I still like just <laughs> only had my own bank account like four years ago for the first time or owned anything under my name for the first time in the like in my 30s so 
I, I think that we, we try and we want to like be the adults that like get it all right, but it doesn't leave a lot of room for growth when we feel that way. And I have left up all of my old like diet culture posts. I've left up all of that stuff. And people are like, do you ever worry like that's going to come back to like bite you in the butt? And I'm like, no, because it's actual proof that people can change. Like, isn't that such a beautiful thing that you can actually be somebody who adheres to a belief system or to a lifestyle choice, or even judgmental uh, about things, and then be like, you know what, I absolutely was wrong. And now I have the opportunity to guess what, change my mind, change my opinion, change the way that I live, and exist within that. I think that we're, we feel like we have to somehow lock into one, one idea for the rest of life. And we're so afraid of things being brought back to us. Now, I'm not talking about things like, you know, racist slurs and things like that. Of course, people are going to be called out for that stuff now. And they should be, we should be held accountable for our words, but also understand that people can change and, and allowing that growth. And that's the overall goal, especially when you come across somebody who maybe has a really polarizing opinion with politics right now, that's a huge topic. And so when you come across people like that, instead of looking at them and writing them off, understanding that they actually could have a change of opinion. So what can we do to have conversations that can bring about change? You brought up like the sex versus gender thing. This is not something that was even on my radar until I started having more people who, that I follow who are non-binary and transgender. And it started to really it sink in with me that, you know, are these damaging? And I started doing some research and it's a fairly new conversation. So there's not a ton. And what happens when there's not a lot of conclusive information, but a lot of opinion information and experience information is you kind of have to then navigate and make a choice. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, what I try and what I try and instill with people and with the language that I use is, is instead of saying, you need to do this, you need to be that just be like, this is something we've chosen for ourselves. And like we as people can have these conversations and making the conversations more inclusive so that people don't feel attacked when you create change. There, I have friends of mine who have done gender reveals and I've totally celebrated alongside them because how can I assume that they've had the same information or experiences that I've had? And so instead of going and being judgmental about somebody else's experiences or choices, go ahead and recognize, you know what, I, when my son was born, I basically just revealed his gender and I didn't know the difference between sex mm -hmm. and gender. And so what an opportunity now to journey with people using my platform and say, oh my gosh, this is like new information that I've learned. This is something I'm working through. This is something I'm learning about. And with the learnings we've done, this is the decision we've made. And understanding that there were still people who deeply disagreed, who disagreed with us making it a gender, like not doing a gender thing or, or even having the conversations around gender. And then at the same time, feeling like I maybe shouldn't have done any type of reveal or to just raise our child non-binary. And for us, that was, that was not where we were feeling in our gut with the information that we had. And so with the information that we felt empowered by, we just, we made this decision. And what I could do with that is make our decision and also encourage people to follow more trans and non-binary so that we can understand these conversations a little bit more from a perspective of someone who's lived it, as opposed to trying to just 
pacify ourselves and the, and the fact that we really, we really like popping balloons with pink and blue in them. And, and instead of shaming people for those decisions, just being like, Hey, I've actually learned some new information and here's what I'm going to do instead. And, and people have had a lot of fun with it. I've, I've heard there's like these parties now where people are like, welcome to the sex party. And it's like, they just had so much fun with all of this information. And and these new learnings. And, and honestly, it was really cool. Like I ended up finding out that apparently 1.7% of births are actually to an intersex child, meaning that they have the chromosomes and biological makeup of both. Historically, doctors decided at birth, which one was going to be the easiest to surgically design them to be and that they gendered them based on that. But now we've learned. So when we say 1.7%, that sounds very, very small, just for clearness of mind. 2% of the population are redheads. So if you look around with those that you know in your life with red hair, just look around in society and now consider that that's basically the same amount of people who are born intersex. So even within the sex reveal conversation, still honoring that there are those who are born intersex and maybe never knew it, maybe are finding out now as adults. And now if you give birth to a child who's intersex, perhaps raising them um, without gender whatsoever and allowing them to navigate what that is for them. I don't really have all the right answers. Like I said, this is entirely new information. So it's just such a, such a cool time to be alive where we have that information available to us too, so we can navigate and make decisions for ourselves. Yes. I love that so much. Thank you for like that information too. I think that would clarify a lot of things for people. Like I know that, but it's only because of my education. If I Mm -hmm. paid 40 K at a prestigious university and like signed up for those classes and like double majoring in women's studies, I would have known nothing of that realm or anything. Like I genuinely signed up for women's studies saying, I don't want to be in a room full of feminists because I had the very naive perspective of like feminists are these, just these like angry men hating women who are just like, like they're just not even willing to talk. Like I had such a narrow view of what that looked like. And then leaving university and having so much learned, obviously like a thousand new things. Like I completely changed how I view the world it shaped me as a person this podcast wouldn't exist without any any of that um I found it almost hard because I was like just kind of you know I'm now not in that academic space where I could talk in a classroom openly about like very like specific academic terms I guess and know and everyone would know what it meant in like coming back to Cambridge Ontario like it's a bit of a smaller city and some of these people have never touched that subject and instead of like I was kind of finding myself getting angry of like how do you not know this and then I'm like why would they know this (laughs) yeah exactly yeah having more grace with people and like being able to use a platform to share that information without that judgment is something that's been taking a lot of like practice for myself because I'm like you wouldn't have known these things if you hadn't gone to university and like you know done that work so it's kind of a crazy thing to navigate but it's also amazing to be able to see the information that's out there and like have people to look up to yeah, no, and I think that's exactly it is is that that sometimes 
happens a lot when people get this new information is you, it almost feels like you're carrying around this new weight where you, you want to share it with everybody. You want to just kind of correct everybody all the time. And, and sometimes those conversations are really welcoming, but they also can create some of these stigmas that we've walked around with where like the feminism is like this really this attack type of feeling and instead really inviting people into conversation and being like, actually, this is something I really learned and this is really neat, but, but recognizing the time to do that, which is why I I actually genuinely love having a platform because then it gives opportunity to share from my perspective without interjecting myself into somebody else's story or somebody else's narrative and say, Oh, actually you got this entirely all wrong. And I think sometimes like I think we're call. I think the the calling culture versus call out culture is important here because when we see somebody doing something that we know is potentially damaging or or we've learned it, like you know the the correctness of it or or something whatever there's been a lot of that there's such a difference between calling somebody out which is basically a rip up and a tear down and and trying to kind of like this cancel culture type of personality around it. And then the alternative side, which is calling in. And and for me, the way I try and view being called in is much more of somebody who entrusts um, my integrity and, and wants to build up my character, wants to build up my resources and not just coming at. And sometimes that can be overwhelming. I think a lot of people, especially um, in the Black Lives Matter movement, we've seen it with gay pride movements. We've seen it with so many different types of things that have happened, especially over the last few months, we suddenly felt like we needed to correct everybody on everything. And we, and the most people that I was getting messages from in terms of like political correctedness were not those from those communities. It was like white women like me who felt we needed to correct each other. And, and, and that was like kind of hard to navigate a little bit too. Right. So I feel like when we call, when we call each other out, instead of calling each other out, really calling people in, recognizing like, Hey, I don't know if you have capacity, but like, this is something I've really learned. I'd love to build you up with this information because you are such an incredible voice. You are such an incredible friend. And like, this is something that I've just learned. I thought I'd pass along the information and and it just approaches it in such a different way where you actually feel receiving to that information as opposed to oh my gosh, another person's attacking me. What did I do wrong? Because what happens when people just start to feel shame in every single time they talk, they're just going to get quiet. And that's not what we need. We don't need a bunch of quiet women being quiet because they're so afraid of being wrong and being called out by other women. Instead, how can we collectively be better as women, a willingness to be wrong, a willingness to call each other in with really meaningful conversations and build each other up from there, as opposed to trying to rip each other down with our wrongness, right? So I think, and I think the idea of like, hierarchies and high horses just kind of needs to go. We need to really just humble ourselves and, and knowing that everything we know today could be entirely new and different tomorrow and, and just be willing to be your own hypocrite. Yeah, I love that. I think you're so right in the sense that it just like shuts people down. And that's not what we need right now. Like we've already a lot of majority of us have stayed a little too quiet about certain issues. And maybe it's the lack of knowledge or, you know, kind of fear of, getting I've heard this kind of term a lot like too political when the especially with in terms of Black Lives Matter like it's about human rights and just making that variation as well I think is so important and just little things like that that I think we're kind of in a very fascinating time where the conversation's changing 
but also like how we're even discussing with one another and the grace that we're kind of giving each other, I think we're starting to move into is so key. And I absolutely just, I adore that because I think it's a hard thing to navigate. Like, I think when you, you have your mind blown so many times about all the things that are going on in the world or whatever, there's so many things that, you know, you could either feel personally or feel empathy for, and then you're almost caught up in the emotional side of it. So then you're acting emotionally and it's kind of one of those things that's almost like not productive. Like we need to figure out how to like keep moving forward and know that it's not going to all change in a day as well. Yeah. I know I came that way in university. It was like, Oh my God, like the world's in shambles. It's in shambles. <laughs> we really have to allow ourselves this like breathing room with it. And again, like we're not news channels, we're human beings. So you know, yes, we have this opportunity to use our voices and we should be, but also we're human beings. And if you need to take time off from being the news, and if you need to take time off from being what everybody wants and thinks and expects of you, like you're allowed to do that too, because work doesn't come without rest. And the burnout rate is, is so much more damaging than, you know, potentially just getting it wrong or not doing it all. Like, you, you have to recognize that rest is so, so important while doing any type of social work, any type of social conversations. And if you just try and follow, like, even if I look at my own content over the years, there have been times where I've been like nerding out on something so hard. And then I learned enough about it. I felt enough about it. I felt my feelings. I moved on. And then I get to nerd out on something else. And when you niche yourself into being somebody who only talks about one thing, it can be really just polarizing for your thoughts and your creativity. So I think it's really important to really be open with yourself as a human being and create these boundaries and limit in without limitations and, and rest and rest and rest and, and, and come back as a new person every single day with a willingness to share what you're truly passionate about and what feels good for you. And I think that it's, it's difficult because we can't just look at every social account and be like, Oh, like you have this responsibility and you have this and I'm sorry, but sometimes I follow food accounts because I just want to look at food or I'll follow a travel account because I want to feel an escape from my everyday life. So yeah. if we just ask everybody to suddenly be news channels, what happens when we need mental breaks from the news? It doesn't exist, right? So mm -hmm. I think it's really important to talk about things. I think it's also really important to create boundaries and to, like we said, move forward, still be yourself, still talk about the things that you're really passionate about weave in that inner work within that don't just talk about things in a really performative way but like do the work deep down inside of you the stuff that nobody's ever going to see the stuff that nobody's ever going to witness of you but will come out and bleed out of you over time and over your content and in the way that you respond and behave as a member of society yes I love that oh that's really good and like I always, I always kind of, I was just thinking when you were talking, like how much I love reality TV. And I always joke about this of how I'm this like, like massively curious, like kind of person all day. I'm like thinking of business and politics and very like intense topics. And then at the end of the night, I put on Real Housewives of New York yes. and I smoke some weed and like live my true, like just kind of like 
almost that thing that I would categorize as lazy. I used to never look at, like, I never watched TV or, you know, just sit and, like, not think or do something productive but then I realized in return it actually made me so much more productive during the day and be able to like show up more for whatever I wanted to do like whatever I needed to and I want to know kind of like what is your almost like guilty pleasure or like like I know you love Animal Crossing yeah Animal Crossing is a big one yeah honestly I'm kind of the same I love some like good reruns and junk tv (laughs) and there's times where I feel like I remember my kids one time walked in and and caught me watching like keeping up with the Kardashians and they're like you don't even like align with them at all like I definitely don't I don't align with their messaging but you know what it's really entertaining and really allowing myself that there were times where I struggled like being told that I wasn't, you know, self-loving because I wear makeup every day. And so I started being like, okay, maybe I shouldn't wear makeup. And then I realized I'm like, no, but I really like that part of my day. It's actually my favorite part of the day is when I have that time of like, I used to really want to get into makeup artistry and stuff. So like, I actually genuinely enjoy it. So who is the masses to come into my personal relationship with myself and dictate what it should look like. And if certain things you find entertaining or fun, just do them. Like it is, you are the only one who knows you and knows how you tick and what can maybe make you relax. I love a good rerun. This is why I watch friends so much because I like the predictability of watching a show that I've already seen and that I can just enjoy without having to have any type of anxiety around what's going to happen next or anything like that. It actually allows me to zone out and relax. So I really just leaned into being who I am with those types of things and, and recognizing that um, we're all very different in the way that we cope in the way that we love and in the way that we exist, or the way that we rest, right? So it's all very like, I have a lot of friends who just unwind with a good glass of wine at the end of the day. And then I have other friends who that's very problematic for them. So it would be so unfortunate if we were like, this is the way to do it. And if you're not doing it that way, that would be wrong because we have to honor our individual processes with ourselves and our individual journeys with ourselves. When we talk about dating other people, you would never go out in the world and apply the exact same relationship methods to every single person because then it doesn't cater to that individual, sorry, that individualistic need of that person that you're in relationship with. That means you're not listening. You're not caring. You're not looking to woo them or charm them or love them. You're looking to just copy and paste what you've heard is the right things to do. We know this doesn't work. So why do we do this with ourselves? Why do we go and listen to somebody else's self-love journey? Be like, okay, morning meditations, yoga, hot baths, glass of wine, read this book, do this. And then we try and apply it to ourselves, and we're like, oh, this isn't working for me. And so we just write it off. We just decide that's, you know, that that's not a journey for me instead of recognizing maybe I'm just an entirely different person and I need to start paying attention to what makes me feel good. What, how do I tick for me right now? Yes. It's a hundred percent zoning out on animal crossing and doing really weird things on there or also playing right now we're playing another Mario game. We're just, you know, always doing these different different video games or something like that because you know why I love those? Because they force me to put my phone down. When I'm watching TV and zoning out, I can still have my phone. If I'm in the tub, I can still have my phone. If I'm doing yoga, I can still have my phone. Zoning out, like we have to recognize what actually works for us and what really does that for us and and being willing to disconnect in a way that that works for us or love in a way that works for us. And we don't know that until we start paying attention. It's so true. I love that because like, it's 
as as someone too has kind of like I've grown up with literally watching like Instagram and social media like at such a young age that I would really kind of gravitate like just so towards certain influencers and I would like almost try to copy exactly what they do because maybe if I do what they do then I'll be like them and that very like it's very kind of problematic at such a young age and kind of your developmental years um but it's also been like a blessing to kind of start recognizing you know that doesn't work but you know let's listen to someone else and see and then try it out and then if I don't like that then I try something else like it's just kind of living that intentional life of like you know look at what everyone else does around you and you know try it out but if it doesn't work then live your best life like whatever or don't even look at what everyone else is doing like just if you want to wake up in the morning and like go straight to the phone or straight to work and like go for yeah. it then do so if you want to have a you know three hour morning routine like I think of like Lauren Everett she always jokes about how she has like a five hour morning routine and that's what works yeah, for her like it kills me things like that like oh yeah she's like likes to be woken up like a cat and like a light um light movement hydration is what she always preaches and I'm like I've literally followed her for so many years that I can like literally repeat what she says but it's also like I can't be her I have to choose accordingly to me too like it's kind of that funny thing of like really just owning what works for you I think that's a really key thing and especially for like younger girls like I'm the oldest so for me to kind of almost act like a I almost want to preach if any younger women are listening like this is the stuff I wish I had known kind of thing. And just listen to your body, listen to what you need. I love to watch New Girl or Friends. I'm not a big fan of The Office, but that's unpopular opinion. Um, yeah, that's totally fine. But yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Like, I can't do a three-hour morning routine. Like, that would never work for me. Love Lauren, though. And she's such a boss in what she does. And I think we all kind of figure out what does work for us and what doesn't work for us. And, and like good example, hot yoga. Do you know how many people are like hot yoga is the best thing you'll ever do. It's so amazing. It's amazing for your body. It's amazing for your mind. So I show up to hot yoga (laughs) and I'm like, I thought for sure, whatever they did to heat this room had been broken. It was clearly too hot. This was the hottest I've ever breathed. The air was like, it. you feel like you could touch it. It was so thick. And I was like, my lungs felt like they were shutting down on me. This, And then you're asking me to exercise in, in, in the realm of this. And I'm... I'm in this class and I, first of all, I assumed it was 45 minutes and I found out about 20 minutes in, it was over an hour. And I remember locking eyes with somebody else. I'm now seeing stars. It's like black and I'm seeing stars and I lock eyes with somebody and I'm like looking at them. Like, if you go, I go like, we can walk out of here together. Heads high. Like this sucks. Let's get the fuck out. And they kept with it. So I was like, okay, I'll stay. And I remember walking out and being like, that was the worst experience of feeling like I was dying for an entire hour. Yet I stayed because I didn't want to be like that guy that left. But then I'm like, hot yoga works so well for so many people. They have such a great time. It's transformative for them. I went in there and had panic for an hour and had anxiety for days afterwards, just feeling like, oh my gosh, the air, I just need to breathe air all the time. So like, I'm not going to go and people, and it's so funny, even when I would tell people who loved hot yoga, they would be like, oh yeah, but just try it like three more times and you'll be in love. And I was like, oh, I'm not stepping back in for that for a while. I've had some drama here. 
So it's so important that we pay attention to things like that. It, it, take it down to a fitness level. I've never loved running, but I really fell in love with being on a bike. And I've never really loved uh, like Pilates, but I love a good yoga session. It's so funny how like we, we look at all these different things and we can determine so easily what we like and don't like. So when it comes to like the food we eat and somebody's like, oh, I really don't like tomatoes. You're like, no problem. No tomatoes on your sandwich. But then when it comes to like the way that we love ourselves, we're like, wait, what? You don't want to drink? You don't drink wine? Like you don't read books? Like we're so judgy about it. And I think it just, we have to just be so much better at like, you know what? Not everybody's the same. We're completely wired differently. And that's what makes us interesting. That's what makes human connection so cool is that we're meant to learn and experience differences with each other, not to be cookie cutters of the same thing. And to honor that, like, yeah, like he's, one woman might be really good at having casual relationships and the other might be a serial monogamous who just can't do casual relationships. Both are honorable. Both are okay. Like we have to really not put ourselves into boxes and then apply those boxes to everybody else, expecting us all to be the same. Instead, just enjoy each other's stories, enjoy each other's experiences and, and kind of do this together. Yes. I love that. Oh my God. Hot yoga too too sweaty it is too much with a like, lot the ass sweat the vagina sweat the oh. like impending like anxiety and like thick air that you feel like it's not people make it seem to be life-changing and for me as well it was just a lot to handle very uncomfortable I couldn't even enjoy the breath because I could I could barely breathe yeah couldn't do it I went and I went and paid like so much money to be at this really expensive spa in Montreal and it was all known for their saunas I took one walk into one and I was like yeah not for me and then it was like these cold the hot saunas to cold tubs and I was like this is horrifying I don't care what it's doing to my pores I'm not enjoying this and I found myself a little spot by a pool and I went and sat down in this quiet little spa and I enjoyed the enjoyed what I could do there that was enjoyable for me instead of trying to just be what everybody else wanted it to be the experience for me and being like no you got to go from hot to cold and hot to cold and it's like really really good for you I'm just like yeah it doesn't work for me I don't enjoy it so that's okay like and it's okay that even if you don't enjoy it you feel like it's good for you and you want to make that choice amazing we can also do different things and still enjoy this space together so that's kind of what I'm trying to do more of and like the ebbs and flows too. Like I used to be a huge yoga fan for years and then I stopped doing yoga for many years. I'm just kind of started recently getting back into it. I used to do CrossFit for like a solid year, like religiously. And now you will never find me in CrossFit right now. Like it's just yeah. it's my vibe. Um, I took up running recently this year and I started absolutely loving it after years of like being traumatized by running like the thought of it was always such a fearful thing like it's just like the way that we can also try new things see if you like it and if you hate it then just never do it again but also like know that you don't have to like what the what everyone else is doing like everyone preaches hot yoga hot pilates but if it's like sacrificing your like mental being then I don't think the like whatever couple calories you burn or it's so good for your pores or that yeah. kind of messaging like what is it worth what are, who are we doing this for it's like when we say kale chips are a great or cauliflower rice is the same as regular rice it's not the same as right there's a reason one is more satiating than the other and it's okay if you don't like cauliflower rice it's okay if 
you would prefer to have regular chips. I'm actually somebody who likes kale chips, so I may be falling outside of that, but that's okay too. I love a good kale chip. And like my husband thinks they taste like grass and we both are valid to have our own taste buds with things. So we should just allow people to have our own taste buds with life. Yes. I'm gluten-free and dairy-free and I feel like everyone like what I'm eating and be like, how the hell like you eat like a bird or like they're like be little jokes. And it's like, yeah, but I could have like a whatever, like the major like combo at McDonald's and no one would like look differently. So like, why is it that you know what I mean? Like to each their own, like I, me having a major salad that looks like bird food versus a burger and fries. Like I don't, I'm not judging you. So why are you judging me? Like, it's just like yeah. little things that's like, why are we doing this? But yeah, it's so true. I've got the same allergies and it's like dodging bullets every, and, and people don't realize like the reason oftentimes we're eating like that quote unquote bird food at the restaurant is because that's the only option on the menu. That's the only thing that you can eat and not be sick for the next three days. So really, or for me, I get like a blistering rash if I eat gluten as well. So like, I'm like, it's not worth it for me. Like I'm not going to pacify everybody at this table. Instead, I'm just going to ask the waiter what the options are, get whatever options I can and, and be okay with that. Right. Instead of feeling like I'm such an inconvenience to everybody else. And so I just eat the bread and eat the cheese and then get sick for days later. Like nobody else has to experience that, but we do. So really just honor that and, and, and defend it. Yeah, if you're anaphylactic to like peanuts, you wouldn't tell someone to eat the peanut butter. Like, yes. even though I don't, my throat doesn't close, the the reaction I have isn't fun. It kills me for days on end. Like specifically gluten, my whole body will itch. I have a rash. I like look like a six months pregnant. Like I'm so bloated. Yeah. It's so uncomfortable. Yeah. Like the pain you experience. Yeah, I don't. I don't feel like eating the sourdough because I don't want to put myself through that. Like. <laughs> hundred percent. And, and I think that that's it. People think that we're separate. And I think to be honest, I think a lot of it's at the fault of diet culture. And then us trying to dismantle diet culture that we assume when somebody's not eating bread, they must be dieting instead of they're just actually honoring what's good for their body. I recently, you know, I love smart sweets, right? They're like the sugar-free candy. And somebody was like, why are you so anti-diet, but yet you are promoting a sugar-free food. And I'm like, because sugar, while I love it and enjoy it when I want to, really triggers headaches. I'm foggier at work. I can tell I'm a little bit, you know, just foggier mentally in general, often upsets my stomach. Right now it causes causes a lot of nausea. So you know what? I like to opt for a sugar-free option. We can't assume everything is a diet. And sometimes like we also have to recognize that diet in the context of what it is means like what we're daily eating and what we're daily taking in. So that doesn't necessarily mean that you're on a diet in an effort to change your body just because you have to eat differently to honor your body. That's so important. Yeah, I fully agree. Like I have endometriosis and it took me so many years to figure out kind of like what's actually a trigger for endo. Like if I eat too much sugar or Mm -hmm. gluten, dairy, um, if I drink too much alcohol, like there's things that will literally put me out of commission. Um, be like of how I feel and how much pain I experience and like sometimes it's hard to like explain that and sometimes I don't feel like I want to explain it either and it's kind of like interesting how we navigate daily life of just little things like and then the bigger topic so like we're just talking about like you know what we eat at like a restaurant then it's like how we choose to engage in sex who we choose to marry do we Mm -hmm. choose to marry like those bigger things it's a really kind of 
interesting way of navigating like judgment and stuff. So I kind of want to know just like you, you're, you're on your fourth child. I want to know kind of the things that you kind of tell your children. Cause I know you have had so many experiences throughout your life and self kind of love journey. How do you allow them to kind of preach like their, whatever they need to do for themselves? Like how do you communicate with them to, take whatever they need to so that they can live kind of intentionally and be okay with whether whatever makes them different or things like that. Yeah. I mean, my kids are all so different. And I remember when my first was born, I was 21. I had no idea what I was doing, but she was such a well-behaved little girl. And she slept through the night at like four weeks for the first time, fully through the night forever at six weeks old. And I thought like, I'm a rock star parent. I need to like write books. I clearly know everything. And then my second was born And from the womb, I knew she was going to be different. And she came out and she proved that to be true. Even when I was pregnant with her, if I laid on my side a certain way and she didn't like it, she would kick in a way that was not like, hey, could you move? Like, that's just a little uncomfortable for me. It was like, mom, get the fuck out of this. Like, change your position. (laughs) She kicked. She kicked with intention, you know? So um, then she was born and she was so much more difficult. She was a lot to handle. She was not a kid that you could say no easily to. Cause if you said no, it was almost like a challenge. Like how can I rework this situation? And so she's now 12 years old and she's very much the same. And my oldest has gone through major bouts of seasonal depression. She has openly allowed me to talk about that. Um, And she has anxiety as well. And my son has a learning disability, a memory disability that he's had since he's young and had to change schools last year, has had some major, major life changes. And on top of that, they have they have divorced parents. So they, they bounce between two different homes and two different, two entirely different parents with entirely different teaching parenting structures. And I've had to kind of say to them, like, listen, like if you are in life, you are right now in a chapter in which you hold a map and I am merely a navigator for you. I'm here to help you navigate, but ultimately you still have to make decisions in how this navigation goes. Because not only do you have me there helping you navigate, you have other people as well. You have grandparents, you have friends, you have your dad, you have your stepdad, you have all of these different influences, teachers, all this stuff online and and you kind of have to work to navigate this map until you no longer need us as like your GPS system, right? Like you like even with the GPS, it's it's constantly guiding you where to go, but you still have free will to make cho- like decisions within that. And that's a huge thing for me now that my older ones are on social media. There are times where I get a little bit afraid that they're going to post something that they shouldn't or anything like that. My oldest has gotten really, really growing in her activist voice and allowing her that space to be like, let's have these conversations that you feel confident in posting these things and feel supported by me and know that like, there's also going to be times that we are, I still have to be a parent. I still have to say, you know what, that wasn't okay to post or that's not okay to do or say. And instead of bubble wrapping them and saying, let's, let's remove social media from your life. How do we actually navigate, help you learn structures and boundaries to navigate through it a little bit better. And so my daughter was a really good example for this because she, my oldest one was such an anxious kid. She didn't really, she had some good friends, but 
wasn't like, didn't really love socializing at school that much. And, and again, had this anxiety and this, she had an issue with like hypersensitivity to sound. So like school just wasn't super enjoyable for her. And then I remember when she came online and everyone's like, oh, like how are, like online can be so bad for teens. It can be so this. And I'm like, this has not been our experience because what happened with her, she came online and she found her people. She found people that liked cosplay and anime and all the stuff that she was so into, but she never had anybody in her relational world that was into it. And she found this whole other community. And I had to kind of sit there and go, you know what? It, it's the same as it is for us where all of these experiences are always going to be highly influenced by so many different people, yet we navigate. And going on social media doesn't mean it's a negative experience because for many of us, we've had those negative experiences and then we navigated through making it better. We have to start raising kids to, you know, the Taylor Swift album, if it's been out, if you've listened to it at all. In Cardigan, she talks about so much about how uh, everyone assumes when you're young, you know, nothing. And the young know so much. They are so hyper aware. They are aware of the world. They're aware of their bodies. They're aware of perceptions. They're aware of tensions in the home. They're not dumb. Like they're not dumb at all. So instead of trying to like bubble wrap them and keep them and hide them, I'm I don't, I share custody. I don't even have them half the week. So how can I build them up to be confident leading their own lives, to be confident in navigating and to be willing to ask questions, come for help, um, and be weird about it. Like be okay with being weird about it. My oldest is like, she's like, Oh, everyone thinks I'm weird at school. And like, she's like, I've kind of learned to love that. Like, I kind of love that. I am that right. And my middle daughter's like, I don't know why she just like loves brand. I don't even own brand name things. And she loves brand name things. And I'm like, I don't even know where this came from, but she just at, at Christmas time, like I, I consigned a, a Gucci belt for her. And that's the only gift she got for Christmas. And she was beyond happy is that meant so much to her. And I was like, I don't get these kids at all. I feel like I'm trying to talk three different languages all the time, but yet we can show up and we can support each other. And so it, it feels no different than the human experience of like being around other people. Just that I have a, happen to have a little bit more influence with these ones. I happen to have a little bit more say in how their days are structured and go and, and how their lives are structured and go. But I really just learned to trust them and to, and to have them trust me. And so that we can kind of have these really, really open conversations about stuff and let them be weird about it. Like my daughter's, my one daughter is like, hates when I talk about body stuff. And my other one is like, so curious about like the changes in my body with like, um, the pregnancy and stuff like that. And I've just been like super open about it. Like, if you want to be curious, I'm going to answer those questions because I'd rather her come to me with them instead of just like sit and wonder or go and resource it somewhere else where she might get misinformed too. Right. So yeah, like there, I, I think, parenting we think that we're we think that it actually is written in a book and that we're gonna figure it out but you can't you kids aren't born with a roadmap to who they are and we weren't born that way my parents certainly tried to parent me and my sister in similar ways and we never could be because we're entirely different people so instead how do you honor that how do you honor those differences navigating in a way that empowers them in those differences instead of shutting them down because we simply don't understand that's so refreshing to hear. Wow. I, I'm just taking that all in because like I studied media and like how technology affects society and all those things. And it raised a lot of like things that I struggled with in high school and kind of like being on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook. But then it also made me really fearful for younger children because 
like just not having kind of like my parents to guide me in any way of how to use social media and all of those things it like was a really weird thing that I had to figure out on myself on my own and like they kind of just didn't even know how to help me but then now we're we've had like Instagram for 10 years and stuff and yeah I'm like okay how can we actually like help younger children kind of navigate these things because it's a new way of life like my parents were like raised very differently than I was raised and how I raised my you know potentially future children so it's just a crazy thing and like I was always that curious kid of like I wanted to learn about sex at the age of like eight because I was watching um soap operas like days of our lives and stuff and they were always kissing and I was like how are babies made like I just thought that god just like dropped one into the (laughs) after like making out for a bit like it's so funny (laughs) the like things that you know but I was curious and I picked up on stuff at a very young age that I knew I didn't know enough about but I didn't know why things were the way they were and like just kind of starting to openly talk about those things I think is so fascinating because you discuss so many openly like open things like you've mentioned or you did like an ad the one day of like a vibrator and I was like that's amazing that's probably cultivating a really like sex positive environment for children too and just like discussing things that are so taboo but oh yeah and like let's be real like I tried to hide that stuff for so long and my son found found it one day in my bedside (laughs) drawer and was like what is this and I'm like do I lie or do I tell him the truth and then I was like oh it's for like when you want to have like intimate time with yourself like you can you can do that and he actually came up to me and my best friend at the time and he was like so is that for like sex and it's like well but yeah but you can have you can it's just for like yourself too and he's like you can have sex with yourself and it's like yeah I guess you can it's kind of great because you know what you like and there's nobody else involved and it's really fun right and he was like okay and then he walked away and I was like man that was so weird because I did not see that coming because you don't know when they're going to ask these questions or how curious they might be but I just have tried to be honest about it and not make it a big deal same with like you know right now we're really making efforts to desexualize the way that we automatically look at women, right? So my kids and I, we were, all, we were all watching Titanic and I knew that scene would come up where like she's nude. And I was like, guys, just so you know, she's going to be topless in this scene coming up. I don't care if you watch it or not. It's going to be boobs. You're going to see nipples. If you're comfortable, like you're totally welcome to keep watching. If it's not comfortable for you, just shut your eyes. I'll tell you when. And you know what? I don't even remember how they all responded, but it just made it a non-issue and gave them kind of like, like, first of all, it's not porn. I'm not encouraging my kids to watch porn. It was merely, you know, nipples on a screen. And so I'm just like, I talk all the time about, you know, trying to desensitize, just automatically sexualizing women, but also mm-hmm. also like actively allowing them curiosities. And, and I talked to a woman on my podcast who was like, the problem now is kids aren't being educated in school anymore on sex, right? So yes. they're not being educated on sex anymore. And what are they going to do when they get curious? They're going to Google it. And what are they going to find? They're going to find porn. And porn is just almost like, a scripted narrated different version of what sex even is it leaves so much out and it also creates an entirely different story that a storyline that isn't really authentic or true which just sets people up for failure and disappointment and sadness or unrealistic expectations about their bodies not realizing that these women um and men like 
bleach and wax and like tuck and trim and do everything possible for this like perfect aesthetic. And it, and it, and if that's what's going to happen, because we're so like, we have to be willing to have really, for me, I'm just very willing to have open conversations with my kids because I don't want them using the internet which to be fair, like no matter how much you protect them, they can still discover, they can go to a friend's house. They can, when you talk to your friends about like, when did you first discover porn? It was like, well, I was at my friend's house and they were on the computer and like, it's like how they educated themselves. They found out at some point and they educated themselves. So instead I just try and be really realistic and very like honest and open and allow those conversations so that they're not educating themselves with misinformation and with falsified information and with over glamorized information. Like a queef is normal during sex, like sounds happen, smells happen. It's not this glamorous experience all the time. And it might not be something that you, it's not what it seems on, you know, these sites, right? So having real conversations with them, about it and allowing those curiosities. I think we always think that by having those conversations is going to open up a can of worm and they're never going to stop talking about it. That's never been my, that's never been my case. They ask a question they're like, oh, okay, move on. It's the same with our own curiosities. And if we weren't fed the information, then we'd start going deeper and deeper and deeper. And who knows where you end up? Like I had a lot of my sex education by having channel 39 when I was a kid, which was showcase. And it was like, if you stayed up late enough, it turned into like a soft core porn. And I was like, I thought sex, like I remember sex education, they teach you like the penis goes into the vagina, but I just thought it stayed still there. Like, I just thought you just like sat and you stayed still. And I remember being like, wait, they move? Like they have to move to make it happen? Was so weird for me to be like, whoa, I had no idea. There's always going to be things that we miss. There's always things that we end up learning through experiences and stuff as well. But I don't know. I just want, like, I've realized now that the more sex positive as a family you are, the less likely likely your kids are about to go down paths that could be potentially damaging for them. So uh, there's actually a really great page on Instagram. I believe it's actually called Sex Positive Families. And it's really, really good and informative into why these conversations are actually not promoting sexuality for your kids, but promoting education around it and promoting ownership of it. And they're less likely to endanger themselves with sexual activity as opposed to knowing and educating and not really going down these like dangerous curiosity paths. So I've really, as much as that's like been so counterintuitive to like how we were taught growing up, like not necessarily by my parents, but like in the school systems and church Mm -hmm. systems, like it's completely different. It's just like abstain, just don't have sex. And yeah. that doesn't really give a lot of like, but if you do, here's how to put on a condom on a banana. And you're like, okay. And like, that's all you're left with. Like, that's all I remember. That's all I remember from, you know, my experiences with it. So I just really love creating spaces in which kids can be super curious, ask yeah. questions, get them answered and move on. Right. Like and that's as simple know. as it needs to be. Yeah. Studies show that like when kids have proper sexual education, they are less like likely to engage in uh, sexual encounters that they don't feel comfortable with. Like a lot of kids just like go into a bunch of stuff because they're so curious. They just want to explore and this and that. And then they, you know, don't even know about, you know, like if you have sex with someone, you may get like emotionally attached to, to them and little things like that where like there's some effects or mm-hmm. you no know, want to have casual sex it doesn't make you a terrible person it doesn't make you a quote slut like 
all those things. And I mean, the thing, the game changing thing for me was I took this course at Western called how to sex ed. And it was about all the reasons that or all the like ways sex ed is influenced and how damaging it is and the shame that a lot of young girls and women can experience and all of those things involved. And like, I, it was mind blowing. And that's literally what created this podcast because I was like, oh my God, the shame that I felt even just like within my own body. Like I was called a hooch by my French teacher in grade four or five wearing a V-neck Tinkerbell teacher. And I had double D tips. Like I had just, and it made me feel so shameful because she was literally sexualizing me at a time before I'd ever even looked at a boy and thought like, I want to kiss him, you know, like, yes. Yeah. And we've really had to have like, and, and, and a lot of it's kind of that deep unlearning too, right? Like my oldest daughter has really, really tall, long legs. So whenever she wears shorts, it doesn't matter what, how, how long they are. They always look short on her and really taking back that gut reaction of like <gasps> a lot of her legs are showing being like, so like she's a kid and she's like, it's hot outside and she should be allowed to wear shorts without me worrying about it. But I actually just pulled up that sex positive families. And one of the things that really pushes as well is while having these conversations, like it says children learn about consent from interactions in their own home before it's even about sex. So things like, may I take a picture with you? Would you like a hug? Can I have a bite of your snack? Is it okay if I tell so-and-so what you shared with me? Would you like help with that? Um, all of these different things and now, and learning to kind of respect kids answers. Like when I, like, I don't remember, I definitely remember like my kids when they were little being like, go hug so-and-so or like give them a kiss goodbye. And just really assuming that not realizing how much that's actually instilling lack of their own consent. And, and I think like, that's why, like, it's not just about kids and sexuality and exposing them to all these things. It feels, it feels so terrifying, but instead it's actually empowering them to like have ownership over their consent, have ownership over their experiences and their curiosities and not tie so much shame to sex and not tie so much sexuality towards women's bodies, right? Like this has been a time and time again, tried and trusted argument all over the internet. Like you can't even, you can't even openly, you can't breastfeed online unless a baby is actually latched onto the nipple. But if a nipple is showing that's not actively breastfeeding, then it's porn. Like that's what we've decided and men can show their nipples. No problem. It can, even if they have a larger chest and it looks like breast doesn't matter, that is considered pornography because that's what we have deemed as pornographic. And, and how I remember my husband being like, it's so funny. He goes, my nipples are completely purposeless. Like they're useless. (laughs) Flips of nothingness and like I can show them wherever I want and like sorry about your luck that like you're you can't like your yours are completely sexualized and they're so meaningful like they're so purposeful and I was like yeah I know right like it's just so funny that that's kind of what we set with but it I think it's just important to kind of um yeah like keep our curiosities there and 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 allow our kids those curiosities allow them for ourselves educate ourselves and be willing to unlearn and and to see that like wearing spaghetti straps doesn't make you a promiscuous person and that's what we were taught in grade school like legitimately mm-hmm. and and now to this day my daughter went to summer camp last year in the guidelines, it said that girls could not wear two-piece bathing suits. And I thought, well, does that mean that the boys are wearing shirts swimming as well? And no, of course, that was not a rule. The boys could completely show their stomachs. But somehow, girls 
showing their stomachs was not allowed at summer camp for kids. And it's just like, what, why is this such a, it's just such a huge conversation to unpack. And one that I really encourage people to just learn more about why do we have these structures in society and, and is it causing more damage than harm when it comes to our kids in the efforts and in the good intentions of us trying to protect them what are we actually doing? The same, same thing we were saying about the internet and social media by us not actually allowing them on it. Are we actually creating a damaging conversation because they're not learning to navigate it fully? And how can we, and, and I believe in honoring those ages. Like my, my kids could witness things on social media, but they couldn't participate in social media until they are of legal age of that. Cause what am I saying to them? If I'm like, yeah, you're, you can totally go ahead and you can go ahead and start doing all these things and lie about your age. Like, no, instead, you're going to have to respect the boundaries of the internet, respect the boundaries at age 13, you can use it, or I think it's 12 for Instagram, but you can have it and use it, but we're going to have to do this in a way that's like respectful to why these rules are here. We're not just going to break rules to pacify you and, and for your friend groups. Instead, like you can witness it. Let's start learning about what it's like to take in this information and go from there. Oh, I love that so much. It's so true. Like your nipples, like, you know, you're feeding a baby and that's pornographic, but men, you know, are out here sending dick pics left and right. And it's so like hard to get that, like their accounts taken down or whatever, like, you know, kind of, it's not seen as like weird and creepy yet a woman's nipple feeding her baby sexualized. It's yes, like, Okay. All right. That's really mind blowing. (laughs) Yes. It's it's so fucked up. But uh, thank you for sharing all of that. I hope everyone goes and follows that account. It was what Sex Positive Families. Yeah. If you look up Sex Positive Families, it's Sex Positive underscore Families. They are just such a great. And I think that even if you don't have kids, I think it's a really great way of. Again, even if it's something that you're not involved in, even if you're not somebody who's disabled, you should follow disabled people. If you are not a person of color, you should follow people of color Mm -hmm. because we can't hear, we interact with kids all the time. We interact with disabled folks. We interact with those of a different color or a different race or perhaps different gender topics. And, And to learn how to be a better support, I think is the best thing. So even if you don't have kids, chances are you're going to interact with kids at some point and understanding some of the structures in which we can really honor them, honor them, honor their consent, honor, um, you know, their own curiosities and empower ourselves to, to be better leaders and better influencers for this younger generation that has been thrown into a bit of a wildfire. I don't think that we figured social media out yet. I think that when I started, it was ICQ and moved into MSN Messenger and suddenly it was Facebook and then Instagram. It was a, it was a slippery slope of learning and we were kind of the guinea pigs for it. But now the results of that guinea pigging is the next generation and they have such a huge burden on their shoulders when it comes to navigating this. And there isn't enough inf- long-term information to kind of know what's right or what's wrong. So being willing to kind of be open to these conversations around how do we help them navigate through it without being the directors and the guiders of that journey, right? So yeah, I mean, it's it's not easy. I know a lot of people who have kept their kids off social media, but eventually it's going to, it catches up in one way or another. Right. And, and I really do believe in the positive experiences that can be social media. I've had it myself. I think we all have. And, uh, until we, we really teach that it can be a positive experience and how to maybe curate it so that it is, 
I don't think the right answer is just staying off of social media unless that's like, I know for my cousin one time, he was like, eh, I spend way too much time on these apps. I'm going to delete them for a little while, give myself a break. And then I'll come back when I'm ready. And I was like, that's, I totally respect that. That's not like anti-social media. And for a lot of people, like they, they have to recognize their own boundaries with it. But I don't think that social media is inherently bad. I think that it is the a new form of media that is to be navigated and respected and honored in its own ways and also be th- like something that we look at critically and that we look at with really strategic thinking as we as we navigate through it and, and understand that this is a collective of human beings. These aren't always trusted news sources, like we said. And yeah. uh, and really, like, just because your friend said something on TikTok doesn't make it true, right? And and really Absolutely. kind of instilling um, this confidence to be critical thinkers and be curious thinkers and and navigate social media that way and, and really honor yourself throughout it. Absolutely. I agree. I think it's so important in how we use it. And if it doesn't, you know, inspire you, entertain you, or educate you, then you can make the decision of whether you want to follow it or not or whatever and really just use it strategically that's the whole thing is like living intentionally and whatever that means to you you are like the breathing definition of like living intentionally in my eyes just like the way that you um kind of tell others like you know kind of reflect on your own journey so that you can share with others and the way that you encourage others to do the same thing I think is really amazing and important. And I just want to thank you for being such an amazing influence to me and for many of my peers for so many years now. Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah. And as a chronic people pleaser, I think that it's been one of the best things I've ever done is to truly honor my own inner voice and my own inner thinking. And, and I just really encourage people like you can't live our lives pleasing everybody else and falling on the sword for the sake of that. Right. So really being a lot more, um, yeah, I, I don't mean to use your podcast name, but a little bit more strategic in the way that we that we navigate in terms of honoring ourselves throughout the entire process of this whole life. It's 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 so much better to try and um, interject yourself and your own needs within within this entire experience that is what we call life. Oh yes, I love that, and I like that you use strategic. <laughs> yeah, like, like you planted it, you influenced me. I did. <laughs> It, it, it kind of sticks. That's why it's called strategic slight. Right, right. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being on this podcast. It truly means the world to me. I hope everyone listening enjoyed it and took away so many different learning key points because I know I feel just kind of inspired and like educated and just kind of lifted up from our conversation today. Um, where can everyone find you on your like podcast, Instagram, everything? Yeah. My Instagram is the birds papaya. That's like just my wheelhouse. You'll find everything else from there, from the podcast to my blog, all of that stuff. But yeah, that's where I hang out the most. And uh, that's, that's where I think is best to go and hang out. Amazing. I'm pretty sure everyone who listens to this podcast already follows you. But if not, I will have everything linked in the show notes, of course. And you can find me at the not so average batch for my personal and the podcast Instagram at strategic slut. A new episode every Monday as always. And I hope you guys have a great week. Remember to love yourself, love, love others and wash your fucking hands. Thank you, Sarah, again for being here and we'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks so much.